Hello and welcome to this special episode of the Next Sense Institute podcast. My name is Trudy Smith. I've been your host for the previous 99 iterations of this podcast and I'm so delighted to welcome you here for episode number 100. We began in May 2019 with an idea that we would talk to professionals and families about hearing and vision, education, health, hot topic items, resources, lived experience, and I hope that you've enjoyed this journey as much as I have. Looking forward to lots of future episodes, but here we are, number 100, so welcome. And I especially welcome Professor Greg Lee, who is my guest for today. Welcome, Greg. Can you please introduce yourself to the audience? Hi, Tree, and thanks for the opportunity to be here. It's a privilege. Um, as you said, I'm Greg Lee. I'm, I have the singular honour of being director of the Next Sense Institute, which, as people will know, is the, um, the organisation that gives rise to this, this event, uh, but it's also the uh, research and professional education arm of Next Sense, which we operate so, um, so delightfully uh, in collaboration with our partners at Macquarie University. Thank you, Greg. Now, you are a teacher of the deaf, and I'm wondering what made you decide that that was going to be the profession for you? I think, Trudy, in a, in a world where people are um, now enjoying multiple careers in, across their lifetime, I've been particularly fortunate that I made a decision at a very early stage of my career to do two things. One, to pursue a career in education, but specifically in, um, in what we would have called then and still do in many, many quarters, special education. Really, it was a, um, a decision based around the fact that uh, the university where I did my, or the college as it was then, where I did my initial education as a teacher had an option in special education. And by coincidence, my, my brother was very friendly with uh, the son of one of the, the heads, of, heads of department in that, that area who very skillfully persuaded me that uh, this was some way that I could, uh, I could pursue, a field, uh, pursue a career in a, in a slightly different area of education. And it's been a decision that I've absolutely uh, um, loved making ever since. Where did you train and start your practice, Greg? I did my both my initial teacher education and my special education um, initial qualification at what was Mount Gravatt College of Advanced Education, which became, of course, part of Griffith University. And my um, my degree, I went back to do my education degree, was through through. Um, Griffith University. Um, my mentors over the, that period of time, I'm delighted to say, were people who have been um, very, very considerably regarded in our field. Initially, I, I trained with Merv Hyde, uh, Professor Merv Hyde, but uh, through my um, bachelor's degree, I had the, had the pleasure of working with Des Power, who became um, a great friend colleague and mentor and uh, is sadly missed, sadly mourned by our field, of course. Absolutely. And, and I actually had the privilege of training under Des in, in my degree at Griffith University. It's a long, it's such a good contribution to the field that he made. Greg, you decided to work towards an academic role. Can you tell us a little bit around why you did that? Um, look, easy decision for me. The, the the practical aspects of what I've done over the years have always engaged me, but I've never, I've never had anything other than an, um, 
an absolutely ingrained view that what we do has to be led by um, by science, by evidence, and to that end, I even as part it's how I how I became engaged with Des Power as part of my degree. I did a uh, an independent study, a mini thesis, as it was supervised by Des, looking at all those years ago at um, question questioning uh, behaviour and question answering by deaf and hard of hearing students. I had the great fortune of taking up a role in Mount Isa in Northwest Queensland, as I know you did, Trudy, at one point in your career or a long part of your career. <laughs> and while I was there, I um, had the great fortune of making my uh, interest in, a post in my postgraduate education patent to um, some of the good citizens in Mount Isa and through that was encouraged into and uh, pursued a Rotary Foundation scholarship, which meant that I was able to, which I was successful in gaining, which meant that I was able to travel to the United States where I, I did my master's degree in speech and hearing science and education of the deaf at Washington University at Central Institute for the Deaf. And really that, that secured a lifelong engagement with, um, or career long engagement with research and investigation that, that took me down that path. So by the time I returned to Australia, there was the opportunity, an opportunity um, to uh, take up an academic career through a position at Deakin University in Victoria, where I was for, for seven years, um, during which time I coordinated the Teacher of the Deaf program um, graduate diploma in special education in uh, education of the deaf, as it was then. Um, and then, very fortunately, uh, was in on the ground floor when the concept of what we now know as Next Sense Institute, what was the um, RIDBC Rennick College or Rennick College, and then later um, the Rennick Centre came into fruition. Thank you. And it's interesting that there's been such a pathway of, of research in your path, but also training the field. Why do you think specialist qualifications are so important to the work of children who are deaf and hard of hearing? I'm absolutely of the view that what all kids need are great teachers, um, first and foremost. But I'm also completely of the view that uh, to add to that, to accommodate the needs of learners who have very specific learning needs and um, clearly for kids who are deaf or hard of hearing and just as much for kids who are blind or have low vision, that there is a set of skills, both knowledge and skills that really need to equip a teacher to be able to be their best at, at working with, at teaching kids, kids who are deaf. Um, being a great teacher isn't just enough. Um, there, there really is a need to, to delve deeper into what the, the language and communication needs of kids who are deaf are, what the, the social developmental needs of kids um, who are deaf or hard of hearing are. And I'm completely convinced. I was initially, I was through my initial training, and I remain convinced that to do that adequately or to support other teachers adequately in, in, that, in their efforts um, to, to provide a, a proper properly rounded and effective education for um, for these uh, for kids who are deaf or hard of hearing absolutely need specialist specialist knowledge and skills. And I'm frankly delighted that I've been able to be part of 
that provision over such a long period of time. Absolutely. I could not agree more with you around the value and the importance of specialist qualification, that, that skills and knowledge that qualified teachers of the deaf bring to the role make all of the difference for students. But before they get to school, it's about early identification and diagnosis of that hearing loss. And you were heavily involved in the development of the newborn hearing screening program in Australia. And I wonder if you can talk to us a little bit about your involvement in that and the significant contribution that that's made to education for children who are deaf and hard of hearing. Yeah, thanks, Tree. Look, I, I'm, I'm asked this question a lot, or I'm, I'm, this, this was raised with me a lot, and you're absolutely right that I've been involved for a long time with what was the initial advocacy for and then ultimately engagement with newborn hearing screening in Australia. But to my great delight, that's been part of a, of a willing band of committed people. There's, there's um, uh, no sense in which I have any particularly individual, individual responsibility or, or ownership of that although I've been on that journey for a long time with a great group of people. The, uh, I think back on where we've come from and where we are now. Um, in 2000, um, there were no population-based newborn hearing screening programs anywhere in Australia. We, we had the great fortune of, of a pilot program in Western Australia, and we had um, uh, a great high-risk identification program and, and screening for those kids in Victoria, but there was no population-based universal newborn hearing screening happening in Australia. What, were a, a, what was a committed group of professionals got together in, in, uh, to convene a, a meeting that was to achieve or work towards a consensus around the need for newborn hearing screening in Australia. Had 101 people at a meeting in Adelaide in 2001, and as I say, that really gave rise to the what we now know as the Australasian Newborn Hearing Screening Committee, what started out as the National Newborn Hearing Screening Committee. And that group of people, uh, I, I was at that, at that uh, meeting in Adelaide in March 2001, um, became involved with the committee sometime after that. Um, and that group of people have met every six weeks on a Thursday evening ever since. And for the last 16 years of that journey, I've had the, had the great pleasure of being chair of that group. And as I say, a lot of people um, standing on the shoulders of a lot of work that had been done internationally uh, were able to assemble the evidence and set on, on a path of advocacy with governments around the country to, to achieve what I think has been one of the singularly most influential and important developments in our field and that is to ensure that we identify children at the earliest possible time, which of course in and of itself is no magic bullet, but which allows intervention at the earliest possible time, no matter what that intervention is. That knowledge gives rise to a, to a world of understanding of, of, of needs for a, a child and their family. Doesn't guarantee an outcome, but by goodness, it, uh, it's put us in a, in a situation where we can achieve outcomes that Frankly, when I started in the field 43 years ago, we only dreamt about. Absolutely. And I've been in the field 25 years and I couldn't have dreamt about them when I graduated as well. It's, it's been extraordinary. Is, you, you've had such a very career, Greg, in terms of your contributions. Is that the task that you've been most proud of being part of? Uh, 
Yeah, I'd, I'd say so, Trudy. I, I, it's certainly one that's given me an enormous amount of joy. Um, I use this rather public forum to shout out the, the people that I've worked with in that space over, over these years because there are, uh, I don't know a group of, of people who are more um, uniformly committed to good outcomes for, for the people they work with than that, than that group of people who make up the Newborn Hearing Screening Committee. Um, just, to, just to reflect on how far we've come, when, when, um, when I came into the field, there was a, uh, a couple of, of really um, important texts that were part of, our, of, of the, the literature at the time. There was a book by Catherine Meadow, Kay Meadow, um, called Deafness and Child Development. And there was a book by Susan Gregory um, out of uh, the UK called The Deaf Child and His Family. And between those two books, I remember as a, as a, as a student learning about the, what Susan Gregory called the, um, the path to diagnosis being suspicion and slow, slow realisation. And how, on average at that time in the United Kingdom, the, the path to identifying a hearing loss meant that, we, that children were often anywhere between two, two and a half, sometimes as old as two and three quarters, three years old before a firm diagnosis of hearing loss was identified. Now, we were particularly, um, particularly lucky in Australia that even at that time, we had a, a much quicker path to diagnosis, mainly because of the existence of what we now know as Hearing Australia, what was, was back then the National Acoustics Laboratory and later Australian Hearing. But even so, the, the gulf between then and now is just remarkable, that we, we are, are setting kids and families on a path to what's right for them, whatever that might be, at the earliest possible time. So yeah, look, the fact that I'm harping on about it probably does suggest it's the thing that I'm <laughs> that I'm most pleased about in my career. But there's a lot, there's a lot to be pleased about. Um, you know, I still see um, kids that I taught 40 years ago. Um, and that that's always a singular pleasure as well to be able to um, join those dots up over a, over a lifetime. Absolutely. It's a extraordinary contribution over a long period of time. And now that you're shaping the Teachers of the Deaf for the future, Greg, I wonder, what do you most enjoy about that role, working with the early career Teachers of the Deaf as they shape their journeys into this field? As much as anything, Trudy, what I really enjoy now is seeing, seeing that there are colleagues coming in behind me doing that, yourself included in that. Um, I've, I've not suggesting that I'm I'm departing the field anytime soon, but I'm, I'm, I'm I am at that at the other end of it, and I still enjoy it enormously. I I, I get a kick out of teaching. Um, I do I do miss um, and have for several years now um, the the in person experience of working with with um, students, but I get a great deal of enjoyment out of working with research higher degree students in in that space. Um, Always will, I think. I, um, I'd like to think that even when the time comes, this is still when, not <laughs> anytime soon, when the time comes, I'd, I'd really like to keep engaged with that part of what I do in some way. That's great. So what advice would you give to anyone listening to this, considering entering training to become a teacher of the deaf? Well, first and foremost, do it, because we, we urgently need people to, to be working in this field. There's for, for reasons that we're not entirely sure about, we do have an aging an aging population of people working with um, 
well, we know why people get old, but I mean, we're not sure why why <laughs> disproportionately we're uh, we're in this situation. But um, on on the basis of personal experience, I couldn't I couldn't have asked for more as a young teacher starting out than the the extent of fulfilment that I've had out of a career working in the field. And that goes across so many different levels. So if you're listening to this and you are thinking about it, the potential to work with children and their families, the potential to work with, with children as part of a community and the diversity of those communities, um, you know, that mean, mean that I've got um, links into friends in, um, uh, students in uh, the deaf community, um, the hard of hearing community, um, the broader field of, of special education and the field of educational research, every one of those, those reaches into different communities has been thoroughly interesting and thoroughly engaging and uh, it's a terribly hackneyed word, but thoroughly rewarding as well. Um, it's, uh, you know, at the risk of throwing in yet another cliche, there's never been a dull moment across that time. And I don't know any of my colleagues who have chosen to work in this area that would say otherwise, that there's, that there's been a dull moment in what they've done. There's just um, the capacity for intellectual and practical engagement in something that's really meaningful that I would encourage anybody into as a, as a career option. I, I really haven't met people who have, have thought otherwise. I completely agree. It's been, I've been in the field 25 years, came to it early completely fulfilled by this work and, and and found it to be utterly joyful and incredibly meaningful and I agree completely and thank you Greg so much for being with us for this episode number 100 thank you to everybody who's been with us on this journey and whether you've listened to all 100 episodes we hope that you found this useful engaging and meaningful we are going to share both a link to if you'd like to become a teacher of the deaf or perhaps blind and low vision we'll share links with how you can do that we will share a link to the newborn hearing screening committee webpage so that you can to meet some of those people that Greg has, has mentioned and, and worked with as well. But thank you everyone for being with us on this journey. We will be back after an Easter holiday break on the 2nd of May. We look forward to talking to you then. Thank you, Greg, for your time today. And thank you, Trudy. Uh, um, episode 100 is no mean feat, so well done. Thank you.